0: Hi there, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm Dan, and I'm here in the studio with our transit correspondent. Brian Hedden, hello. Thanks for coming in, Brian. So what are we going to be talking about today, if you haven't looked at the title of the podcast? So we're going to talk about the MTA and
1: the ridership data for 2017 that they released earlier this year.
0: And how are we making this hyper-local today?
1: So we're going to talk specifically about the ridership for subway stations in Bay Ridge. Ooh. And also the bus routes that serve Bay Ridge.
0: Nice. So... This is transit data from 2017 that the MTA has released. That's right. They released it
1: in July of this year, and that's actually quite late for them. They usually release it in April, maybe May. Mm. So they were late this year, and when you actually saw the data, you kind of got an idea why it was as bleak as you would expect
0: okay so they were like probably like holding on to this to be like oh crap we what how are we gonna spin this <laughs> exactly oh my so citywide,
1: the issue is that the subway ridership is down about one and a half percent from 2016 doesn't sound that bad except when you consider that there are 5.6 million people that use the subway each weekday so one and a half percent off Ooh. from that <laughs> That's a pretty significant number.
0: All right, that's fair. All right, 1%. That's big, but okay. (laughs) It gets even
1: worse when you start looking at
0: buses. Okay. (laughs)
1: So the bus service dropped by almost 6% from
0: 2016 to
1: 2017. Wait, 6%. Almost 6%. Whoa, that's... That's massive uh, that it's a pretty significant
0: drop and overall bus ridership how what is that like compared to like overall subway ridership are they even in terms of number of people they they shunt around It's a bit lower, so bus ridership is one point nine million people every day
1: that's quite a bit lower than the subway, but on the other hand, that's still a lot larger than your typical North American transit system.
0: Yeah. And a lot of people who take the bus need to take the bus. That's their only way of getting anywhere into the city. They
1: need to take the bus because they don't live or they don't work close to a subway station. Exactly.
0: So those are bleak citywide projections. What kind of effect do you think that has on The overall MTA, I mean, should we be worried about, say, um, more fare increases in the future or how how much does the MTA rely on those numbers to fund itself?
1: It's a little under half. They get the revenue for half of their operating expenses from fares and then they get the other half from other sources. All right.
0: So theoretically, if they get half from the fares and there is a 1% reduction, that's like a 0.5% reduction in overall funding, you'd imagine. All right. All right. But how does that stack up to other cities?
1: It's a little bit across the board. So, Mm. for instance, uh, Los Angeles, uh, they only have a 25% uh, fare box recovery ratio. Boston, it's a little bit higher. So they're more reliant on fares than Mm. New York City is. Chicago is a little bit less. And in terms of, you know, internationally, it's right in line with, say, Montreal. All
0: right. So we have the overall ridership numbers What about Bay Ridge? How do our ridership numbers stack up to the city as a whole?
1: I want to start off by saying that the annual ridership for our four stations, which would be 95th Street, 86th Street, 77th and Bay Ridge Avenue, that was 8.5 million people. And that serves about 29,000 people each weekday. Wow. In years past, that number would have been around 32,000 people per workday. So
0: that's a 3,000 person reduction for this year for our subway stations, our four subway stations.
1: I wouldn't necessarily look at it quite like that. It's a little more complicated than you'd think to make a year-over-year comparison for 2017.
0: Oh, 2017. I think I see where you're going with this.
1: So, this is what happened this past year. So, there was a shutdown of the Bayridge Avenue station for 6 months. Yes. As part of the enhanced station initiative.
0: Yeah, the basically putting in leaning benches and USB Chargers and not much else, basically.
1: All, all cosmetic changes and nothing to enhance uh, accessibility or service.
0: They didn't even really change the tiles. They painted those tiles, the wall tiles. They put the blue stuff in, but the actual wall tiles, those like big white chunks,
1: those are exactly the same.
0: So yeah, we had that station shut down for six months, so that obviously throws the numbers off.
1: That individual station, you'd see a hit in ridership numbers. People who used to take that station during the shutdown time, they would go to either the 77th Street Station or to 59th. But with 59th, that was also the station of second resort for users of the 53rd Street Station, which also was shut down for a cosmetic makeover.
0: 59th was smack dab in the center. So if we wanted to try to figure out where the people from Bay Ridge Avenue went, yeah, we maybe could look and see an increase at 77th Street. But if we tried to find the equal increase... At 59th, we wouldn't be able to find those numbers because it would be thrown off by the people coming from 53rd. So that number is basically lost because it's being conflicted with a couple of other stations nearby.
1: Right. So there's a couple of different ways you can try to make a year-over-year comparison. One is to take basically all of the stations below 36th Street. The issue with taking everything below 36th Street is that you're now taking basically all of Sunset Park as well.
0: Yeah, and then we're not hyper-local anymore. You're not
1: hyper-local, and there could be other factors in terms of uh, economy or housing that's happening in Sunset Park that's not necessarily happening in Bay Ridge yeah. that makes it difficult to say, this is what's happening here.
0: Yeah, and if we want to use these numbers to figure out what's going on in our neighborhood, yeah, that's not a useful comparison to make.
1: The other way to do it, which is what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at the 95th and 86th Street stations only and use mm-hmm. that as a proxy for the other half of the neighborhood.
0: That does make sense because in terms of housing stock, um, you know, Southern Bay Ridge has a similarity. In, it's almost like a mirror version of Northern Bay Ridge where the extremity has a large number of apartment buildings and it kind of gets less dense as you get toward the center of Bay Ridge. Um, and both of them have major intermodal stations. I mean, 86th Street is more major in terms of people coming off of buses, but Bay Ridge Avenue station is also a spot that kind of feeds into Diker and Bensonhurst, and it's where people can jump on the R if it's the closest station for them. Just taking those two stations does seem like a fair comparison.
1: So in 2017, the weekday ridership at those two stations dropped by two and a half percent, which is actually... Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> It's actually noticeably worse than the system as a whole, which dropped 1.5%, as you recall. Mm. But what's even more shocking than that is that they dropped 21% in terms of weekend ridership. Whoa, wait,
0: 20, not 2%, 21%? 21%. 21% drop on 86th Street and 95th on weekends from 2016 to 2017.
1: That's right. So you'll recall the other thing that's been happening in Bay Ridge, particularly in 2017. Oh, gosh, yes. be the weekend shutdowns on the R-Line. They were pretty extensive. So you saw almost 20% of the weekends in 2017 had a weekend shutdown.
0: Oh, so 20% of those weekends had shutdowns, and we saw almost a 20-21% decrease in subway ridership.
1: Now, I guess the thing there is that I would expect the drop in weekend ridership to also be a little under 20%. It was actually a little bit over 20%. So you start to wonder, are there people who are just giving up on the R entirely on the weekends? Are they just making fewer trips even when the line is operating on on weekends? I'd
0: imagine there'd be a suppressive effect. So 2% overall during weekdays compared to 1% for the city as a whole is double the loss right. in Bay Ridge. Right. Why do we think that that's happening?
1: It's not a surprise to anyone that the system is facing a lot of reliability challenges, and everyone always thinks that their line is the worst. There's been separate research that indicates that people who ride the R-Train are not entirely wrong, that it's always <laughs> ranked not at the very bottom, but Close enough to the bottom as to not make any difference to the people who have to ride it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure if it's any consolation to us that the C train riders have it just as bad as us. So we are possibly seeing that our train ridership has gotten to a point that people are abandoning it. Almost double the rate of the city as a whole is abandoning the subway. where, Where are these people going, I guess, is my question. If they're not taking the subway and this is weekday ridership, I mean, people still have to get to work.
1: So the MTA has generated some data in terms of comparing the drop of citywide ridership with an increase in ridership and four higher vehicles, particularly Uber and Lyft. Mm. They had initially framed it as causation. The MTA ridership has dropped because of this shift over to Uber and to Lyft. Yeah. I think that the causation is probably there, but it's probably working the opposite way that the MTA thinks. I think... Really? That it's probably more likely that people hmm. are frustrated with unreliable subway service, so now they're shifting to Uber and Lyft.
0: It's not that Uber and Lyft are so attractive versus the subways. It's that the subways have gotten...
1: Who doesn't want to pay an extra $50 to get into work?
0: Oh, yeah, you're right. I mean, this Uber and Lyft aren't necessarily commuting services.
1: Anecdotally, I think you see people in Bay Ridge say that they take Uber and Lyft as sort of stopgaps. Yeah. Um, I had to take it once this week or three times this week because of XYZ thing that happened on the subway. Yeah. I don't think you're seeing people flocking to it two trips a day. What you might be seeing that's Bay Ridge specific is actually the availability of ferry service. Oh, yeah. The ferry service isn't really something that is practical in terms of moving the masses of New York City. The current projections are to have 9 million riders a year by the year 2023. And that's the
0: ferry system as a whole. The
1: whole ferry system. And 9 million a year is basically equivalent to two days worth of ridership on the subway
0: just the subway not including buses so if you included buses you maybe got like a day and a half
1: exactly so it's not really a solution for moving the masses but on the other hand if you're trying to point to a reason why Bay Ridge subway ridership declined an extra one percent during the work day versus the rest of the system
0: yeah yeah the availability of the ferry might explain that the other question that i kind of have and this is kind of going back a little bit but Why was the R-Train shut down for that amount of time on the weekends? I mean, just total cancellation. Did they ever explain exactly why that was? Because I wasn't entirely sure it was the enhanced station thing because a lot of those shutdowns happened after Bay Ridge Avenue was finished.
1: It's not the enhanced station initiative and the MTA never did explain what they were doing that required (laughs) all of those weekend shutdowns. I guess I want to point out that this happened in 2017. And what you saw at the end of that year, the start of this year, Andy Byford uh, was hired as the subway and bus president, uh, hired away from Toronto. Mm. He hired Sarah Mayer to become the chief customer officer. And between the two of them, one would expect a dramatic improvement in communications in terms of if there's going to be a long-term project that requires X number of weekend shutdowns in a year, that... Under the new regime, we would get a satisfactory answer Yeah, But in 2017, we didn't have that communications uh, discipline or policy from the MTA. Yeah,
0: and even then, there are going to be things that slip through. I'm sure people remember the N train getting blocked off on the express line that's currently going on right now and didn't trigger signage in a lot of the stations because it was a long-term project versus a short-term project. And there are all these little communication snafus, but at least we know why they're doing it, why they're repairing that track. So for some reason, the result is that we had a 21% weekend drop off. Uber explains a little bit of it. Ferries explains a little bit of it. What do our buses look like?
1: So with the buses, you can't make quite the same observations as you can with the subways, at least not on a neighborhood level, because the MTA collects that ridership data by bus route rather really? than pickup point.
0: I mean, most of the buses have GPS installed. I'm imagining there's some problem with figuring that out, or.
1: It's possible that they might be able to do that as they migrate away from the MetroCard to a tap and go payment system. Oh. Huh. But they're certainly not going to be making any improvements to the MetroCard system as they're trying to phase it out.
0: All right. So maybe in the next four or five years, we'll start being able to see real data for Bay Ridge. But what do the routes look like, at least?
1: So overall, the bus routes serving Bay Ridge saw a ridership drop of a little under 1%. Oh. And that's actually outperforming the system as a whole, which we said at the outset dropped 6%. Oh, whoa. So we... We
0: only dropped 1% versus 6% as a whole. That's
1: great. Right. (laughs) All right. People are taking
0: the buses. We only (laughs) failed by 1%. Hooray
1: for us. (laughs) And just like the system as a whole saw a less bad drop on the weekends, the weekend ridership for our buses actually went up slightly, about 1.5%. It went up. So the five bus routes that serve Bay Ridge that have the highest ridership are the B1, B8, B9, B63, and the S79. The range there is the B1 has about 19,000 riders every weekday. Mm -hmm. The S79 has about 11,000 riders each weekday. So out of that group of five, the B63 is where you actually saw a gain on weekdays of 3.5% and a a gain of almost 9% on weekends.
0: So that's a huge increase. So is that one of our top performing bus lines basically that's one of our top performers but on the other hand you want to dig into a
1: little bit as to why that might be the b63 parallels the r line
0: that's right it goes all the way down fifth avenue exactly with all of the
1: service shutdowns on weekends with the fast track uh, shutdowns Mm. on late nights occasionally the b63 would make an excellent backup for taking
0: the R. That's true. I know I have taken when I would commute out to my job in uh, Bedford Stuyvesant. Our train has stopped at 36th Street. We don't know how long it's going to be. Instead of even going upstairs and grabbing a shuttle bus, I would go upstairs, walk a block over, grab the 63 because I knew I could just look at bus time and figure out exactly when it was coming and it was reliable and I knew it would probably be a lot less crowded than 200 people trying to cram onto a single shuttle bus.
1: There's also a similar increase on the B-37, which parallels the R along 3rd Avenue that carries Mm. about 2,500 riders a day that saw similar ridership gains. All right. Both of those bus routes go through Sunset Park and Park Slope in addition to Bay Ridge. Yeah. And even on the weekends when you had shutdowns in just Bay Ridge, you also had service changes on other weekends that impacted Sunset Park and Park Slope. Yeah, So you would see the station's being skipped the local station skipped on yeah. one side and then the next weekend you'd see them skipped on the other one
0: so it was happening for us was happening to them and you could make a comparison about the line as a whole to what's happening locally in bay ridge right i guess if we're looking at the ridership for 2017 it's kind of a story about how we as a neighborhood were souring on the trains and relying on the buses to kind of pick up some of that slack Are there any bright spots, anything that's just not reliant on terrible R train service?
1: So there was actually an increase for the B-70 bus, which runs from the VA hospital up to Fort Hamilton Parkway and then up 8th Avenue through Sunset Park.
0: All right. And then it makes the turn down 36th. Right. And goes down to the uh,
1: Sunset Park waterfront. Hmm. So the increase on the B-70 was a little under 5% for weekday ridership.
0: Still, that's pretty big. Do we know how many people take
1: the B-70? It's about uh, 6,200 people every day. So that kind of increase, that's over 5,900 from last year or so.
0: And so that's basically a bus line that's running the circumference of Bay Ridge. It's dodging around the edges, but it's connecting all of the neighborhoods that surround us. And that's all it does. This isn't like a cross-borough bus. This is just sunset, to the VA in Bay Ridge and running through bits of Borough Park and Sunset. That's really interesting that that would see a big increase because you can't really ascribe that to the R train or anything else. It's, I mean, my first inclination is to think that they have been pushing economic development on the Brooklyn waterfront for a while now, almost a decade. This is the bus line that kind of serves that to us. Maybe the little bit of the Brooklyn waterfront is coming back. And also that Sunset Park, they have been seeing the highest increases in rent and development lately. So it makes sense that their bus ridership would increase. But it's interesting that it's the ridership going into Bay Ridge. Maybe it's that people in Sunset are commuting into Bay Ridge or people in Bay Ridge are commuting into Sunset. Was that weekend ridership
1: or weekday? That was weekday ridership.
0: 5% weekday ridership.
1: That's an extra 300 people every day during the workday. So that is not insignificant. That's the equivalent of three subway cars that are jam-packed. So that might be something to watch for next
0: year and see how that develops.
1: And then the weekend ridership was up over 11%. (laughs) So going from 7,100 people on a weekend to 7,900 people on a weekend. Wow.
0: Unless the VA hospital has suddenly gotten a huge influx of patients... I hope not. (laughs) ...then that's all people going between Sunset, 36th Street, and us. A shout out to all of our friendly Sunset Park visitors that might be listening to the podcast on a bus ride. (laughs) Is there anything else that we need to talk about in terms of what's coming up for next year?
1: The likelihood that everyone's fares are going to be going up. Oh. This will probably happen in March of 2019... It's been the MTA's policy for the last decade or so to be raising fares once every 2 years. Mm. So early on when they started this policy, the fares were being jacked up by about 7 or 8% each time, and that was very much out of alignment with the inflation rate and with the growth in wages. Mm. The last few hikes have been a bit more reasonable at 4% every time. Okay. So they're learning. Hey, learning certainly makes much more sound, reasonable financial policy, certainly for the MTA, but it's also a lot easier on the pocketbooks of the ridership. But at the same time, it's still, unfortunately, out of alignment with the average customer experience.
0: Yeah, it's not like we're getting a 4% improvement every two years when they're increasing the fares. If it worked that way, our fares would be going down every year. What are the possible options for that fare increase? What are we going to see it at?
1: We'll almost certainly see monthly MetroCard card holders pay an extra five fifty dollars or $6 a month.
0: Mm-hmm. All i right, right, I'll, I'll eat that. As far
1: as the base fare... The MTA, if they hold form to the last couple of hikes, they'll present a couple of different options. So one option would likely to be holding the base fare at $2.75, and then to take away that 5% bonus when you refill your MetroCard at a vending machine. All right. The other option would probably be to raise the fare to $3, but then increase that bonus to about 10%. <sighs>
0: So basically giving more people more of a bonus that a lot of times they don't even think about.
1: What the MTA is trying to do after you take away all the stupid bonus math,
0: mm-hmm. they're
1: charging about two dollars and sixty-two cents for every ride. And after the hike, they're probably going to want to be charging about two seventy-two.
0: All right, so a little over a ten cent increase.
1: And whether they do that by eliminating the bonus and keeping two seventy-five or raising to three and making the bonus bigger. They don't really care that much how they get there, but if there's a way that they can make the writing public less mad at them, that's probably the option they'll go with.
0: Yeah. It seems really weird to me that the options are a 25 cent increase or some weird bonus discount thing for refills. And it's people now are just paying with credit cards and things like that. I mean, I get mine from my job. Why can't it just be too... 70 whatever
1: and i would make that case that it should be and i I would say that other transit systems do the same particularly if you look at a city like washington Hmm. which charges different fares for how far you go in the metro they will charge the increments of 10 cents or 15 cents or whatever the case might be i think the other thing with the mta fares is that getting the 5% bonus at the vending machine is fine for you and me if we happen to be in a subway station or we're using a credit card or whatever the case might be. Or if we're doing these purchases through employer uh, benefit programs. But a lot of times when you see people taking the bus, particularly if they're out in subway deserts, particularly if you're out in Staten Island where there essentially is no subway.
0: Um, Yeah. And no MTA vending machines from which to get your 10% or 5% bonus, whatever it's going to be, or zero if we choose that option coming up in the next year. You see
1: people paying with cash to get onto the bus. And the structure that the MTA has where they try to game it with this 5% bonus or 10% bonus, whatever the bonus is for a particular two-year stretch... Is a little bit unfair to the people who are out in subway deserts and are paying for their bus fare and cash. And they
0: never get that bonus because they're not refilling those cards where they are. They're paying cash.
1: And you can also buy a single-ride metric card, but that costs $3. <laughs> <laughs> I wish the MTA would just be more honest and straightforward with what they actually want to charge us and not charge a little bit more because you're paying for cash in a bus or... Pay a little bit more because you're making the mistake of buying a single-ride metric. Yeah,
0: I know it confuses the hell out of tourists. And again, that's not a problem necessarily. I'm fine with confusing tourists. It's just, that seems like just arbitrarily shafting people to hit some weird dollar-cent amount of what you need. Tolls are going up too. (laughs) Oh my god. All right, so tolls are going up. And I know that that's a significant chunk of the MTA's budget.
1: It's not quite as much as you would think. It's actually a little under $2 billion out of around $15
0: billion total uh, operating oh. revenue.
1: So it's about 10-15%. Uh,
0: oh, all right. I mean, with all the talk of like congestion pricing and things like that and tying bridge and tunnel to MTA funding... I guess it's kind of low as to what it is right now.
1: And and I would also expect, like, if congestion pricing ever comes to pass, and I know that the council speaker has Mm -hmm. recently come out strongly in favor of it, I would expect that to go directly towards capital spending projects, particularly putting the fast forward plan into action. Whereas the tolls that the MTA currently collects from the Verrazano Bridge and other bridges goes into their operating budget.
0: That's running it day-to-day maintenance, making sure ship shows up on time, etc., etc., paying wages. Exactly. All right. So it's not as big as you'd think, so, but that's going up too. You probably pay an extra 50
1: cents to a dollar if you are using the pay-by-mail service and probably an extra 50 cents if you're paying by EasyPass. At least in the case of the bridges, the MTA can point to Cashless tolling and the elimination of toll booth stops as an actual service improvement for mm. drivers. And you also have the uh, the HOV three lane on that bridge as well. You see a lot of people with only one or two people in the car using mm. those lanes anyway. So maybe the lack of enforcement there is a bit of a downer. Unless you're one of the people who is breaking the
0: rules. Yeah, and then it's a service improvement. <laughs> there you go. All right. So at least they got a little bit of something, even if the trains are totally messed up. Right. And I guess one last question is, do we know what the ferry numbers were? Is that something that's collected? I know that's not MTA, but is that something that gets ridership data?
1: There's not really any clear data on the ferry ridership. And they do issue some top line numbers from time to time through press releases and Mm. press events. But they certainly don't have anything as uh, detailed and transparent as the MTA does.
0: That's weird because they definitely collect that data. I mean, they have to count the number of people on each boat for safety reasons. There's someone clicking it off every time you get on.
1: What's weird about it is that there's actually an agency out there that chooses to be less transparent than the MTA. But...
0: That's what the New York City... There's an agency that's less transparent than the MTA? The New York City and
1: Economic Development Corporation. They're the ones who run the New York City ferry system. Mm. We do know that they had a little under 3 million people in ridership for 2017, which was a partial year for them. They launched in May of that year.
0: Uh,
1: And as I mentioned before, they are expecting about 9 million riders a year by 2023 when they'll have all of their routes in place, mm-hmm. that is a nice number. But on the other hand, compared to other transit modes, $9 million a year is the same amount as you see for Bay Ridge's four subway stations. Exactly.
0: And it doesn't seem like because it's run by a different agency, we're really ever going to see easy transfers with Metro cards. It's If you want to take a bus to the ferry, you're doubling your fare. When you take the ferry, do you usually see like people jumping off a bus, or is it people biking, or it's mainly people walking? It's almost exclusively
1: people walking. You do see a small handful of people uh, riding their bikes to mm. the ferry.
0: Oh yeah, they do have racks on the ferries, right?
1: There are. So you can bring your bike onto the ferry. The storage situation is a little less than ideal, in my opinion. Mm. On the new boats, they do have the bike hooks that you can use. It is a little bit of a lift to get your bike onto those hooks. The main problem I have with that is that if the seas are a little bit rough that day, your Mm. bike is definitely getting a saltwater bath. (laughs) Uh, And then on other boats that they have, the ones, for instance, they inherited from the old East River Ferry, they've got the bike racks on the inside of the boat, but they're a little bit small for larger size bikes. So not every person with a bike is going to have a problem fitting their bike into one of these things, but the larger size bikes they're not so uncommon that Mm. there's not going to be some issue some problem all right and then they also have the ferry boats they use from the new york city water taxi from time to time oh yeah yeah yeah. uh these boats don't have any bike racks at all so you Mm. just have to find some place you're just
0: holding on to them
1: no not even that you just find a place on the deck that looks like it's not going to tip over there and (laughs) then just leave it there
0: cross your fingers that it doesn't go go for a swim
1: exactly
0: (laughs) And for
1: all of that, you have to pay an extra dollar for the privilege of bringing your bike in to store it wherever they let you store it. The other thing that you saw, particularly over the winter, was that they had a lot of service issues when the weather was less than favorable. Mm. So Bay Ridge in particular, they just had to cancel service for hours or sometimes days at a time because the seas were too rough to be able to make that uh, landing.
0: Yeah, I know that the um, 69th Street Pier is kind of notorious for that. I know that, um, what is it, a couple of years ago, didn't they put in like a dock for kayaking and things like that, like an eco-dock? The million-dollar eco-dock, yes. And didn't that only last a year? It like broke because of tidal problems. I mean, the narrows is narrow, and that means that the tidal speeds are higher than elsewhere in New York City. So it is a little bit more of a treacherous place for... Landings. Now, something the Parks
1: Department was upfront about at the time that they were presenting that is that it wasn't being built as a passenger ferry dock, mm. that you would have to make something like that quite a bit stronger. So the fact that you have something that's built weaker and it's out in an area where seas are a bit rougher in retrospect it was almost predictable that it wasn't going to last that it wasn't going to be durable
0: and we're talking about the ecodock or the new york city ferry dock talking about the ecodock yeah
1: but i on, on the other hand for the new york city ferry dock you know it's obviously a much more a much more robust structure than the ecodock was but at the same time You would almost expect that it would be robust enough to have service on a pretty regular basis and you wouldn't have to skip, for instance, you know, basically the entire week of the last week of December.
0: It would be really interesting to go back into old newspaper articles and see exactly how reliable the 69th Street Ferry was back when it was operating between here and Staten Island. If anything, that would be harder to run because both of its landings would be in the Narrows. Maybe that's something to dig into for a future episode just about the ferries.
1: And again, speaking of the transparency, every month when the MTA presents information to its board, one of the things that they have to present is reliability data, on-time percentage, any sort of performance indicators that show this is where we struggled during the course of the month. The New York City ferry doesn't have to provide that information to the public. <laughs> so there was... A change that the New York City Ferry made uh, for this year versus last year that was a bit unfortunate, I thought, Mm -hmm. for riders from Bay Ridge and Sunset Park. So for their Rockaway ferries, particularly for the weekend ferries, I think they ended up doubling the number of boats that they've got going out between Wall Street and and the Rockaways. Yeah. But they have half of those boats bypassing Sunset Park. So... The service at Sunset Park is the same as it was last year, essentially. But you still have the boats that are making that Sunset Park stop making their first pickup in Wall Street, and they're filling up there, and there's still... Not enough room for the people Mm -hmm. who want to get on at Sunset Park.
0: Yeah, me and Rachel actually tried to go for a Radio Free Bay Ridge co-host Beach Day to go hang out and talk about the pod, and those Rockaway ferries were jam-packed. They filled up at Wall Street the second they got to Bay Ridge. No way of getting on board. There were like three people that could get on.
1: It's one of the unfortunate uh, drawbacks to the way ferry service is implemented right now that just doesn't get a lot of scrutiny.
0: Mm. And then there were a line of bicyclists that wanted to get on the Rockaway ferry, but because they had their bike it counted as two people, they would have to wait at least like an hour to two hours before they would get an actual ferry that would go to the Rockaways. And at that point, you might as well just bike there. Which brings me to another question. Is there any way of collecting bicycling data in New York City? Because that would be the other component to understand all of our transit. There's no way at all that we collect that data, right?
1: Transportation Alternatives is able to produce a report The DOT is able to produce a report that talks about how many cyclists there are in the city.
0: But that's basically black magic as far as we're concerned. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I've seen like they maybe send out people with clickers and they just try to estimate based on like one day's worth of data. But there's literally nothing that genuinely collects it. I know um, you could probably put permanent strips on certain roadways that would count.
1: They have that in some places for bikes in the city. They set up a bike totem, which is what they call it, uh, on the Manhattan Bridge. It's basically a counter that says this is how many cyclists have gone through this year or all time. since that's we put fun. this. It is fun. Just a couple of days ago I was somewhere in the 3500 range uh, going over the Manhattan Bridge on my way back home from work. I wonder how much those things are cuz probably just a simple like I mean the the technology has been available since I guess the 60s or something yeah. like that. All it is is just connecting that to a sign that's above ground so people can see that data.
0: It would be interesting if they renovated The overpasses to have protected lanes, you could put a coil in there and you can count the number of bicyclists going in and out of Bay Ridge at least. Alright, so I think today we covered trains, we covered buses, we tied in the R-Train, we found something interesting happening on the B-70. We talked about the ferry and how it's hard to get data and how it can be improved. We talked about bikes and how we could get better data for those in the future and what we would have to do in Bay Ridge to get that data This is all interesting stuff. This is stuff that we can pay attention to going into the next year.
1: I mean, first of all, Dan, I'd like to thank you for having me here. And I'd also like to thank you for saying that this was interesting stuff. (laughs) I think your perception on this would be fairly unique.
0: Well, hopefully the people listening also would agree that it's interesting. If they've lasted this long into the podcast, I'm sure they do.
1: To both of the transportation policy nerds still listening, thank you very much.
0: Thanks so much. Let yourself be known and say that this is something that you might want to hear every year because this data comes out every year and we can do an analysis on how Bay Ridge is improving over time, year to year with this, which if you want to hear it, let's do it. So, Brian, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And until next time, everyone, stay free, Bay Ridge.